You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for February 2007. Today's episode is entitled, Vision Born Out of a Disaster. A tornado devastated a town in the upper Midwest in 1883. A 55-year-old school teacher nearing the end of her life volunteered to be part of the medical relief effort. The experience gave her a vision about how a hospital could bless the community. Against all odds, she turned the vision into reality and helped to build one of the greatest healthcare facilities that exists today. How many of you remember August 21st, 1883? Oh, one of you. I see one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Only me? <laughs> well, you weren't born yet. Well, that's probably true of all of us. Uh, it was a muggy day in the uh, upper Midwest of the United States. It was a stormy day. Uh, this little town in the upper Midwest was, uh, was is getting ready to go to bed. It was uh, nearly dark. It was probably 6, 6.30 in the evening when a tornado came swooping out of the sky from the west and ran across the northern side of the town and, and demolished the northern side of the town. Now, there were people obviously all over the streets. Many people were killed. Uh, there were a couple of, couple of brothers that uh, were uh, out looking for a sheep's head. Uh, the brothers were, one of them was a doctor, the other one was a medical student, and they had decided they want to practice surgery on uh, using a sheep's head. They want to do some eye surgery. So they had gone up to the butcher house to get this sheep's head from the butcher house, and when they got up there, they found everybody in the butcher house leaving early. He said, what's going on? And they said, look out west. They looked out west, and it's looking bad. So they come running back into town on their carriage, and they barely got across one bridge when the tornado hit that bridge and wiped it out. They got into downtown and the tornado was, was ripping off roofs, so they jumped off their carriage and ran to the blacksmith shop, which was the sturdiest building in town. Just as they got there, the tornado ripped off the roof of the blacksmith shop, and so it was just a mess. When it was all over, there were dozens of people killed, hundreds of people injured, and there was no communication. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet. The telegraph lines were down, so they had no communication with the outside world, and it's dark. And they have no hospital, no paramedics, no ambulances, no emergency care at all. There was no, what is it, doc in the box? There was nothing. All they had was a handful of country doctors, that uh, many of them that were not even medically trained. In the 18, late 18th century, only a small percentage of the doctors had medical training. So many of these doctors had never had any formal training in medicine at all, and here they are with all of these serious injuries that they've got to deal with. So what did they do? Well, the town fathers got together that night by lantern, and they dispatched search parties by lantern. They searched all night trying to find the, the dead and injured. The next morning, they pretty well identified the dead and injured, but they don't have any place to take them. So uh, they found the most suitable building in town was the dance hall. It was called Rommel's Dance Hall. So they set that up with cots and took all the injured there to the dance hall. Now, remember, they have no hospitals, so they have no one there trained in emergency care. So they gathered the country doctors together, and the city fathers picked one of them and said, his name was William, said, William, we think you're probably the best qualified person to run this. And he said, what do I know about emergency care? Furthermore, where's my help? There are no nurses, there's no staff, there's no orderlies, nothing. And so he looked around and says, okay, well, I've got to tackle this thing. I need some help. 
Well, they looked, at, uh, looked around town, and all the women in town, they were busy taking care of their homes and their families, so they weren't really a available to help out. But there was a group of school teachers, and they were all unmarried, and they were on summer break. The problem was they were Catholic. Now, William's a Protestant, and you may know or recall from your, I know you weren't there, but from your study of history, that the Catholics were not viewed highly by the Protestants at that time. So it was a real problem for William to go to these Catholic ladies and ask them for help. But he was so desperate that he overcame his bias and he went to see the ladies and said, look, um, here's the situation. I need some help. I need some nursing help. Well, the lady in charge, her name was Maria. Maria said, William, we're happy to help you, but we're teachers. We know nothing about nursing. We've never had any nursing training. He said, don't worry, I've had very little doctor training. So here they come, these inexperienced people down to Rommel's Dance Hall to deal with hundreds and hundreds of people that are injured. Well, they were a quick study of medicine. Over the next few months, they were able to nurse everyone back to health, despite the fact they had very little equipment, almost no medicine. They were able to get everybody back to health. There were still a number of people that died, but the vast majority of the people survived and the crisis was averted and everybody went back to, to life as normal, at least as normal as they could. It was a life of rebuilding the community. Well, we went back to being a country doctor, but Maria went back to being a teacher, but she went back very changed. Number one, she had made a new friend in William. They had become very close because of their work together. But more importantly, she saw something. She had a vision planted in her heart, and that was a vision to build a hospital. This was a little community that by all rights didn't need a hospital. It was too small. What's even worse is in those days, hospitals were looked upon very negatively because hospitals in the 19th century were not places of healing. They were places of death. People only went to hospitals when there was no other place to go. You know, they, basically healthcare happened in the home. This is where the country doctors would practice. They would go and call on you. If you needed the doctor, you sent somebody for the doctor, he would come to your home and he would treat you in your home, which means there was very little surgery that went on. It was mainly internal medicine. Go to your home, figure out what you need, I think, and give you some medicine and you rest. You know, the take two aspirin and call me in the morning thing? Well, that's probably where it came from because they, that's the medicine they knew. So Maria's vision was, you know, we need a hospital where people can get care 24-7, 365 days a year, and it's going to be a place of healing. Now, Maria is a teacher. She has no experience in medicine apart from this little excursion she had with William when they had the tragedy in the town. Nevertheless, she goes to William and she says, William, I think God has spoken to me. Okay, now, Protestants don't think Catholics can hear from God, so that's a problem. But William was willing to listen because he had a lot of respect for Maria. You know, they worked together in that, in that emergency hospital for those two or three, four months, and they created a bond, so he listened. And William was very polite and very kind. He's a real gentleman. He said, Maria, I, I love you, but I think you're nuts. This isn't gonna work. First of all, Maria, you, you need to understand, this is gonna cost a lot of money, and you don't have any money. You're just teachers. Where are teachers gonna come up with this kind of money? And she said, well, how much? And William was trying to be kind to her. He said, well, how about 40 grand? Now, 40 grand doesn't sound like a lot to us. 
you know, put another zero or two behind it, you know, maybe 400,000 or maybe a million. That's the kind of number she was looking at. You know, wages back then, somebody might get paid $5 a week. So you got to keep all this in perspective. $40,000 back then was a huge amount of money, particularly for teachers that were making nothing. And so she said, we'll raise it. And he said, well, what about the reputation hospitals have? Nobody wants hospitals. Hospitals are death traps. Nobody values hospitals. And she said, we'll make it a place of life. Oh, okay. Why are you coming to me? And she says, because I don't know anything about hospitals. And he says, I don't either. But you're a doctor, William. You know, you, you can figure this out. And I trust you. I know you can do it. And William says, well, that's very kind of you to trust me, but I don't still don't have any clue about how to run a hospital. And, and finally, Maria, you got to realize this is going to be a big investment in a hospital. And this is a teeny tiny community. The real estate isn't right. They understood real estate back then. It was location. Location was not right here. So those are the four objections that, that William had. Maria would not be deterred. So here's your discussion question. Put yourself in the place of 55-year-old Maria Mose. You have a vision to build a hospital that you believe is from God. However, you lack the resources to build it and the knowledge to operate it. You solicit help from a 63-year-old doctor whom you trust. Because of your relationship, he's willing to help, but he has four major concerns. Number one, hospitals in the 19th century were places of death, not healing. Number two, Maria did not have the money. Number three, the doctor had little experience and knowledge in operating hospitals. And four, the community was not large enough to support a hospital. So given those facts, and the life expectancy in the late 19th century was 65, what do you do? Maria left the doctor's office that day undeterred, despite his objections and his total skepticism. The only reason that William would even entertain the conversation with Maria was because of their relationship. They had, they had forged a relationship by working through tragedy together. And it's because of that that he respected her and he valued her. So when he agreed that day to help her, what he was saying is, if you will go raise the money, and if you go build the hospital, then I will help you, you know, operate the hospital. And as she left, William had no faith at all that Maria was going to pull this off. After all, here's Maria, and her resource base are 20 other fellow nuns, all of them committed to poverty. They've all taken vows of poverty. How in the world are these 20 nuns going to raise this money? And they didn't try to go and, and hit up the community. They didn't do a fundraiser in the community. They didn't go try to get somebody to donate a building. What they did is they started saving. I know that's a foreign concept to us today. Since we call ourselves consumers, which my, my assertion is that is a curse to call yourself a consumer. They were savers. They started saving. They started taking on extra work. In their spare time, they brought in extra work to do to earn extra money. Within five years, they had raised the $40,000. Maria goes to, to see William and knocks on his door and says, guess what? He says, great to see you, Maria, how are you doing? She says, I've got the $40,000. He says, gulp, you have to be kidding me. Because now that means you want to build this thing. She said, yes, I do. And he says, I don't have a clue how to build a hospital or operate a hospital. 
She says, but I know you'll figure it out. You're a great man, you're a great physician, and you're a man of character. So William began to travel the world looking at hospital facilities. He had to leave the United States to find good examples because the United States did not have good hospitals. So as he traveled throughout the world and found the best facilities, talked to the doctors, talked to the administrators, looked at the designs of the hospital, he brought back with him the design concepts that he began to use to work with the architect. And he worked with this architect very closely. The architect would draw something, he'd send it to William, William would critique it, send it back. Back and forth, back and forth between William and the architect until they got it just right. William's two sons were, were in this process too. They began to get really infected with this vision. Now they, know, they all knew they had a big obstacle to overcome. Not, you know, it'd be great to build this thing, but we still got to deal with the attitudes of the people. So they began to work on that as well. And they said, okay, how are we going to convert the attitudes of the community? What about the other doctors? You know, we open this thing up, there's, nobody's going to send their patients here because all these doctors think hospitals are a place of death. And so they began to travel more. William sent his sons on tours of the world to again glean the best practices worldwide. We have got to find the best methodologies, the best, best equipment, the best medicines, the best processes we can to facilitate healing. And so as they begin to compile all this, they begin to build a hospital and they begin to talk to others and do lectures and share with the media what they were doing and how they were doing it. The hospital opened September 30th, 1889. It opened with a surgery, and the first surgery was an eye surgery, perhaps very fitting, because William had been very influenced by a physicist back when he was a teenager in England. And this physicist was John Dalton. He's a great, well-known physicist. John Dalton was a very, very dedicated Christian. And for a scientist, that was very unusual. In fact, his dedication to the Lord was so strong that most of his colleagues shunned him. He was not acceptable to many of his colleagues in the, in the sciences. So John Dalton had taught William that God created the universe. Unlike what Aristotle taught, we have one God. We don't have many gods. And this one God is a God that loves us enough to make the laws of the universe very predictable. And he's given us the charge to discover those laws and to master those laws for the betterment of mankind. That is distinctively a biblical worldview. That is not a Greek worldview. It is not a pagan worldview. It is a biblical worldview. If you had adopted the, the Greek worldview of the first century, your worldview would be that, first of all, God. there are many gods. We're polytheistic. And secondly, God is in everything, which means that this chair is God. Each person is God. What that meant to physicians back in the first century is you didn't do surgery because you were cutting into God. In fact, in first century, if there was any kind of surgical procedure needed, for example, an amputation or your, your uh, tooth was to be pulled, you know who did that? It was not the physicians, it was the blacksmith. They were the ones that did the surgery. The physicians were above surgery. It was beyond their worldview to think that a physician would ever do surgery. So what, what William learned from John Dalton was a worldview that enabled him to see surgery as a valuable tool. And so as his, his sons worked with him on gathering these surgical techniques, and they had that first surgical procedure, it is so fitting that it would be an eye procedure because John Dalton, in his contribution to medicine, 
what he contributed was an understanding of colorblindness. In fact, it's still called Daltonism today. That's because he was colorblind, so he was searching to understand what, what colorblindness was all about. And so it opened in 1889, and very quickly it gained a reputation. In fact, over the first five years of its existence, the mortality rate was so low, that alone began to draw people in, because they could see this was not a typical hospital. And so as they began to grow, what you have here is now 70-year-old William with his two sons as the sole physicians. In fact, for the first 12 years of existence of this hospital, they were the only ones that practiced medicine in this hospital. They did all the procedures. They did all the medical care in this hospital. But they realized by their own admission that they were green. None of them had any hospital training. None of them had any hospital experience. When they went, got through with their medical training, they didn't go to spend a year or two in residency at a hospital. That didn't happen back then. So they had to develop their own protocols. They had to develop their own equipment. Because of their value of science and what, what was instilled in William by John Dalton, the physicist back you know, 50 years before, he instilled into his sons this tremendous value of science. And so they began to look at how science could help them. They established a laboratory. They actually mortgaged their home to buy a microscope so they could begin to study the properties of blood. And then as they, they traveled, they would run into people that knew more than they did about the properties of blood. And they began to hire people to come in and join them. And so they began to build a medical staff all focused around generating extremely excellent hospital care. And so it began to grow. And pretty soon, the initial hospital, which only had room for 27 patients, they were running out of space. So they started an expansion. And then another expansion, and another expansion. Soon expansions were coming, you know, as quickly, they wouldn't even finish one expansion before another expansion would come. One after another, they were growing. They were drawing people literally from not only the lo local area, the regional area, and then worldwide where people were coming. The doctors began to realize that it was very important that they be committed to, to education because if you're going to be world-class at anything, you have to be continuously learning. So they created in their operating rooms literally a gallery where people could come and watch the surgeries. And they would come and witness these doctors with, with incredible techniques that would be world class. They would invite doctors in to come in and teach them as well as they would have other students come in and learn from them. It was just an environment, a very collegial environment. It was an environment that did not at all shun the fact that we want to share with our competitors, our, comp our other doctors, what we're learning. You know, we're in societies today in business, we don't think about sharing what we know with our competitors, do we? Uh, we don't want to do that. That's a trade secret. You know, they got to figure it out on their own. They didn't have that attitude. Their attitude was they freely shared anything they had. They felt like that whatever God gave them, they were to give it away. In fact, they viewed that as a duty they had. Another thing that, that happened is, is very quickly they began to make a bunch of money. They didn't expect that. That was not in the business plan. They didn't have a chart that, was gonna, that mapped out their growth and their financial profitability the way it worked out. So what, what they started doing is they established a school associated with the hospital and they started giving money to the school out of their own pocket. And they decided just to pay themselves a salary, the doctors did. They paid themselves a simple salary and any excess profits went into the school and they started building the school. Now the hospital was struggling initially. You know, 
basically the, 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 the nuns didn't have any money to put into operating. They, they didn't have any, they had money to build it, they built it, and that was it. Now it had to be self-supporting. Well, the first few years is they're dealing with the obstacles of the reputation of hospitals and getting people oriented to using the hospital. It was tough. You know, it cost you a dollar a day for a bed in a hospital. Okay, now in those days, a dollar a day was a lot of money. Okay, so it was difficult. And there were times when, the, when the, the finances were really tight. And you know what the doctor said to the patients? Pay the hospital first. Can you imagine a doctor saying that today? Pay the hospital first. The doctors were never in it for money. In fact, twice in their life, that both the, both the sons of William lived until 1939, and twice in their life, they gave away literally everything they had. Twice. They did it once in about 1915 when they established their graduate school of medicine. And they did it again right in 1939, right before they died. Literally gave away everything, including their house. I mean, that's how committed they were to supporting this work that had emerged from the vision of Maria. You see, these doctors, they had no idea of where this was going. This wasn't even their idea. This was the idea of a little immigrant teacher named Maria who came from Luxembourg in 1850. And she had been here and she, was, she had been discriminated against frequently because she was a very able lady. She not only was a teacher, she was a good administrator. She had built several buildings and schools and she had operated them very successfully and Typically what would happen is her superiors would get jealous of her and they would come in here <clears throat> and discriminate against her and she would wind up losing her job. So she got fired several times because she was so competent. She is the one that had the vision. It wasn't the doctors. And it was when it began to develop, the doctors are looking at it and saying, wow, what is going on here? This something is happening. God is shining his favor on this, this operation. For a hundred years, the doctors and the hospital had an informal agreement. It was a handshake. They never had a formal agreement. It was an informal agreement that the doctors would come and they would operate and they would practice medicine at the hospital and the, the ladies, the sisters, would provide the nursing care. And remember, these sisters were all teachers. None of them were trained nurses. So starting out, there's all this training they have to go through to get all the nurses up to speed. There are no hospital protocols, so they have to develop all these protocols. There's almost no equipment, so they have to go buy all this equipment. They started literally from a dead stop to build this thing, and what gave them vision about how to do it was a biblical worldview. They saw this as something that God had called them to do, and they were going to do it biblically. You want to know who this is? The hospital, the name of the hospital is St. Mary's Hospital. The name of the, of the sisters, it's the sisters, it's the sisters of St. Francis. The city, the city was Rochester, Minnesota. And the doctors, well, their last name was Mayo. It was William Mayo, his son Will, and his son Charlie. And they, the, what, what enabled them to achieve what they achieved was this. First of all, a philosophy that said that God is loving, self-consistent, and he created a universe that was discoverable. It was our job to discover the universe and to, to bring the universe under the dominion of man to bring glory to God. 
They operated on biblical values, compassion, mercy, sacrifice, personal calling, loyalty, excellence, trust, efficiency, hope, just to name a few. And listen to their operating principles. Their operating principles were these. The best interest of the patient is the only interest to be considered. Patients are to be treated holistically as a whole human being. Care is given to all regardless of race, color, creed, or finances. That was a practice that they started out with that still goes on today. Finding and practicing the best health care techniques is a core principle. The combined wisdom of one's peers is greater than any individual. As a result of this philosophy and these principles, listen to some of the things that the Mayo Clinic pioneered. Number one was laboratory analysis as a diagnostic tool. Blood analysis was first pioneered by the Mayos. Urine analysis was pioneered by the Mayos. X-rays were pioneered by the Mayos. Surgery was a tool to promote healing. In the 19th century, most of the time if you had surgery, you had a, a, a limb amputated, a finger, an arm, a, a hand, a foot, a leg. But they viewed surgery as a way to cut out something that was bad. Like you had an apple that had a bad spot in it, you cut out the bad spot, you still have a good apple. Well, that's the way they viewed surgery. You cut out the bad spot in your body and we still have a good body. They believed in holistic patient treatment. They viewed the spiritual side of healing was as important to them as the physical side of healing. St. Mary's Hospital always had a chapel and a chaplain and they had regular services in the hospital for the patients and staff from the beginning and still do. Physicians work in teams, equally yoked teams. This is perhaps one of the greatest things. The whole concept of specialists came from the Mayos. That's where it started. They believed that a person that could specialize in something could be, get really good at it, but they recognized the problem of the ego. So it was very important that people showed they could work on a team. That anybody that was a lone ranger, a renegade, that was out for his own agenda would not fit in there. They were determined to have a team approach to every case. They developed the electronic nurse call system. That was them. They came up with that. In fact, the first system was wired by Charlie Mayo. He, he fancied himself an amateur electrician as well as a physician. And something that, that you all take for granted today, and you probably don't realize where this came from, is the medical system that's active today. It's called the dossier system which means that all of your medical records are kept in one place and when you're in a hospital your medical records go with you. That came from the Mayos. Because prior to that the system was a ledger system. You had a, each department had a book and so when you went to a department for a test or something they would record your name and the testing and the results and everything in that book and so if anybody wanted to find out about you they had to go to all the different ledgers to pick out all the pieces of information about you. And the Mayo said that's not efficient. And so they came up with a dossier system to do it. Then the question was, how do we get the information from one part of the hospital to the other? Because by the time they developed this in the early part of the 20th century, they'd already been through about five additions to the hospital. It's, it's getting pretty big. So what did they do? Well, they went to businesses and studied how do businesses communicate information around. And they came up with a tube system, just like they had at Sears and Roebuck who probably pioneered the tube system. And so they put that in and that's how they moved information around the hospital. And so you see, here's what, here's what happens when you let God plant vision in your heart. 
And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter really if you have any experience in it. Maria Mose had no experience in healthcare. She knew nothing about hospitals. All she knew was that God called her to build a hospital. And she had forced a relationship by the providence of God with a doctor that was willing to give her enough faith to say, I will help you if you will, if you will raise the money. And so it was by that vision of Maria Mose, by that relationship with Dr. William Mayo, that was the foundation of the Mayo Clinic. But the Mayo Clinic would have been nothing had it not been for the fact that both Maria and, and William had a biblical worldview. And that's how they approached building that institution that today is well over 100 years old and today is the world-class leader in healthcare. Can we get a vision and allow God to be that big? Can we put aside money as a definer of success and begin to embrace doing the will of God as a definer of success? Maria Mose died in 1899 never knowing what she really did. Is that okay? Is it okay to die not really knowing what your vision did? All she knew was she had done the will of God. In fact, a few years, she was initially the, the head of administration and the nurses, nurses there for the first five or six years of the hospital, and then she felt the call of God to leave the hospital. You know, that's not how most of us uh, that start organizations function. Most of us that start organizations, we, we hold on to it. We grab hold of it, it becomes us, it becomes our identity. She never, it was never her identity, it was her calling and her destiny to do that for that period of time, about a 10 year period in her life. But there was a time when she was called to go someplace else and she did that. Can we live that way? Or do we have to hold on to what we think is our monument to our existence? Really the only monument that has any validity to our existence is our faithfulness to God. That's it. So Lord, give us the grace to learn from Maria Mose, a young lady who came to this country at age 25, didn't even know the English language, just came and learned to be obedient to you, and that's how she lived. Lord, give us grace to do that. Well, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this story of Maria and William and how you providentially put together the events and you moved in their heart and you gave them the perspective they needed to build this institution for your glory. We thank you that the Mayo Clinic stands as a testimony to you. It stands as a testimony to what, uh, what people who embrace your principles can do. Lord, give us the grace to learn to build organizations based on your principles, on your vision, on obedience to you. Father, we commit ourselves to be your servants. We say thank you, Lord. Give us the grace to do that. In Jesus' name, 